I'm sure you all know what's meant by a shock headline. Often it's called clickbait. It's like something to grab your attention. Uh, I once saw a headline that said, Sri Lanka destroys England. Anybody have a guess at what that was about? It was actually cricket, yes. It was cricket. Um, uh, I, I mean, I looked at it, I thought, I didn't know we were at war. But um, when I looked closer, it was the cricket. And uh, you can see, if you Google shock headlines, you'll see some various things. So uh, here's another one. Disaster. Uh, it, and it turns out it's Australia's ashes hope go up in smoke in one disgraceful, ridiculous hour at Trent Bridge. So you can probably guess that's cricket. Um, here's another one. Route of Africa. England humiliated in record 4-1 trouncing. So actually, it's England that are routed by Africa. So it's, it's cricket again. So, so we're going to look today at a shock headline in the book of Isaiah. And here's the headline. Bell bows down, Nebo stoops. Now, you're probably thinking, I'm not particularly shocked by that. Like, what is this about? And I'm going to show you in a minute why it's shocking and how it would have been in those days. Um, so my outline today is I want to talk about how we understand Isaiah 46 and why this was such a shock headline. And then I would like to go through Isaiah 46, explaining what the passage is about, and then to take in what it means for us. And my goal today is that each one of us would truly take in the deep encouragement in this chapter. Each one of us would truly take in this deep encouragement from the chapter. So, let's look then again at this shock headline. So, the reason why it's a shock is that the you would have to know who Bell and Nebo were, and then it would be a shock to you. Does anybody know who they were, Bell and Nebo? They were the great gods of the the Babylonian Empire. So here's a picture of Nebo. And uh, there were actually six kings named after him. Anybody know a king named after Nebo? Yeah? Nebuchadnezzar, that's right, which means Nebo, protect my frontiers. Any Anyone else know any others? Nabopolassa, Nabonidus, some others. That, that. So then the other one, that, so that's, that's Nebo. The other one is Bel, who's also, another name for him is Marduk. Um, Bel, anyone know any kings named after Bel? Someone who said it? Yeah? You can both... T- Belshazzar, okay. So uh, Belshazzar means may Bel, the god, protect the king. And they trusted these gods to help them in war. And because they always won their wars, at least up to that time, then Bel and Nebo must have been the greatest. So you can imagine what this must have sounded like to the Israelites. Um, So if we say, who's the equivalent to the most powerful country in the world today? Well, probably the USA. Uh, Supposing you saw a headline that said, American Army Surrenders Trump begs for mercy. That that would be the level of shock 
that you would you would get. So you begin to resonate. I can see you can see like why this would be kind of surprising to see. So this is how it starts off with this kind of statement, um, and um, uh, we we don't see a lot of explicit idol worship here in the West, so we can be unaware of actually what's happening in the when people are worshiping idols. Now, um, uh, of course, uh, 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 demonic power is a spiritual being. It exists in the spiritual world. And um, the way that idolatry works is people recognize that the, the physical thing wasn't actually the God, but the way that, that they would behave is like this. They would take some object to represent that God, like this particular one, maybe made of gold or wood or whatever. And then they would do things, um, worshipping this object that would encourage the spiritual being to associate itself with that object. And this would happen. And so the being becomes associated with the object, becomes comfortable with that and becomes connected with it. And so you then have an object which... Um, is a representation of the being, but actually is a place where the being will be associated and they can bring their worship to it and their sacrifices and all that they wanted to do. And then this would be a, a way of manipulating the God because idolatry is all about trying to gain control of a chaotic world. How can you gain control of this world? Well, you have to control the spirits that control the world and you do that by getting them on your side by by means of this idol which you then do things to try and uh, worship, to try and encourage the spirit to be on your side. So this is what's going on in the idolatry. <clears throat> and um, uh, very often then they would carve some representation of the object. Um, so um, uh, they knew that it, it wasn't actually all there was to the God, but by by experience, they knew they could they could encourage the demon to associate with it. Um, so God was very concerned that they didn't do this with him. They didn't treat him like an object they could control. So God was very angry if they tried to make an object to use as a way of controlling him. And we know that when they made the golden calf and other things that happened. He refused attempts to manipulate him in this way. But um, but you should be aware of objects which um, might have been used, might have come from a culture where there is active demon worship, and the object might have been used in demon worship. Um, and you need to be aware of that because there is, there are um, bad things can be associated with these objects. It might look like a cute work of art, but just be careful of that sort of thing. I mean, if it's just a carving, that's fine. But if it's been associated with some kind of demonic worship, it may have these kind of attachments. <clears throat> So we don't know a lot about how the spirit world is organized, but we do know that there's some very powerful spirits, like Satan was the most powerful of the spirits who rebelled against God. And it seems that uh, that uh, Bel and Nebo would have been the physical manifestations of two of these very powerful beings. And so they would, in fact, have been uh, giving power to the nation of Babylon. And so this is what's going on. So let's turn then to our passage, and we're going to go through Isaiah 46 now. So uh, it starts off, Bel, bows, Bel kneels down, Nebo bends low. Their images weigh down animals and beasts. Your heavy images are burdensome to tired animals. 
Together they bend low and kneel down. They are unable to rescue the images. They themselves head off into captivity. So what is this about? It's a prophecy of something that's going to happen in the future. Uh, the, the city of Babylon is a very powerful city, extraordinarily powerful. Here's a, a photograph today of what some of the walls that are still remaining, um, what, 4,000 years later? Something like that. Um, maybe 3,000 years, 3,000 years later. Um, 10 kilometers of walls like this around the city, uh, walls that are 8 meters, um, uh, between 8 meters and 25 meters thick, uh, walls that are up to 100 meters high, that's 250 feet high, um, in, uh, sorry, 320 feet high above the city. These are incredible walls. And within the city, they actually had fields where they could grow food and they could they could be self-sufficient. Um, they wouldn't run out of water because the river Euphrates ran through the middle of the city. But it turned out that this was their weakness. And I, some of you know the story. They, when eventually the city of Babylon fell, it was the Persian army came up against it. And the Persian army, uh, way upstream, created an artificial lake which they, they dammed up the river Euphrates. Uh, they switched the water to run to the artificial lake. The riverbed dried out. So one night, they did this very, very quickly. One night, the river dried out. At that time, there was a feast on in Babylon. There was a citywide um, celebration, and nobody was paying attention. And before they knew what was happened, the army had marched, marched through the dry riverbed into the city and destroyed the city, burned it, took its, its uh, people captives. And in that process, they took all the gold and silver away back to, to uh, their, their own land. And amongst those gold and silver things they took away would, of course, have been these idols of Bel and Nebo, these gold and silver statues of Bel and Nebo. And the image that we have in this chapter of Isaiah is that the images are piled high on animals. And we're going to use this poor donkey as our as our illustration today. But this poor guy, he's piled up with all of these heavy images and he's walking along. And as he goes, he kind of stumbles with the weight on it. And as he stumbles, the image appears to bow down because it's weighing down this poor animal under its weight. So we can we can go back to the passage. Bell bow, kneels down. Nebo bends down, their images weigh down animals and beasts. Your heavy images are burdensome to tired animals. Together they bend low and kneel down. They are unable to rescue the images. They themselves head off into captivity. So this, and, and so that is the, the situation with these idols. This is what's happening to them. But here is the single message for today. The single message I want you to get today is this. These idols have to be carried. But God says, I will carry you from the cradle to the grave. These idols can't even carry themselves. But I will carry you from the cradle to the grave. So let's look at this whole passage. Isaiah 46. Uh, We've just read the first two verses there. I'm going to read verses... Three and four. Listen to me, O family of Jacob, 
All you who are left from the family of Israel, you who've been carried from birth, you who have been supported from the time you left the womb, even when you are old, I will take care of you. Even when you have gray hair, I will carry you. I made you and I will support you. I will carry you and rescue you. And um, I, I want to ask you if you're carrying burdens right now. Are you carrying weights in your life? Do you feel like you're carrying heavy burdens and you're, they're just weighing on you? Um, and this is a message for you, that this is a message that God is saying. He will, he hears you, he understands what this is like. Um, uh, a few years ago, I, when I first started studying this passage, I was, um, I was doing some, um, uh, I, I was, I was studying, I came to church on Sunday and or preached the sermon, and, and as I was getting ready to preach, I couldn't find the remote control for the video, and it was supposed to be in this bag here, um, and, and I couldn't find it anywhere, and I looked, and I, and I, Anyway, I, I thought, well, maybe the previous week I'd been teaching, doing some teaching somewhere where I'd used the projector. Maybe I'd left it there. So I prayed about it and asked God, and I thought, I'll find it there. So the, the next day I was, I was at the teaching location, and I asked the students if they'd seen it. None of them had seen it. And, and I, I thought, well, I'm going to... I, I'm going to pray to God and I'm going to search this room meticulously because I'm sure it must be in here. And so I started searching. It was beginning to get a, a heavy burden on me and beginning to be, to be worried about it. And after like 20 minutes of searching this room, I couldn't find it. And I was praying, God, help me to find this, help me to find it. And then and I thought, but Andrew, you've been studying this passage. How does this relate? And I realized that my attitude of prayer to God was kind of resentful. Because like, he knew where it was. He knew where the remote was. And he wasn't going to tell me. And I was kind of irritated. Like, why doesn't he tell me where the remote is when he knows where it is? And I realized that this was like not the right attitude. And so I started, um, I thought, I'm just going to praise God that he's the God who carries me. And I just started just like singing my own little little song to God. And I was by myself in the room and just started singing. And as I started to sing, I picked up the bag to, to take it out. And I picked it up. I felt a bump under the bag. And I opened it up and the projector was in. I took the projector out. There's nothing. There's nothing. But I felt a bump. And then I realized there's a false bottom in the bag here. And it was underneath there. And it was as I started praising God for the fact that he's this kind of God who knows my burdens, who carries me. In within like two or three seconds, he answered my prayer. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to promise this is going to happen to you. I'm not giving you a magic formula. But nevertheless, I found this hasn't been the only time in my life where when I've switched from an attitude of demanding from God to just praising God that he does care about me and he knows my situation, then I have, uh, he, he answers me in a, in a remarkable way. Um, so let's, th- this is the God then who says that he will support us and he supports us from the cradle to the grave. He says, from the time you left the womb, even to when you have gray hair, I will carry you. So then uh, let's look at uh, verses 5 through 7. To whom can you compare and liken me? Tell me whom you think I resemble so we can be compared. Those who empty out gold from a purse 
and weigh out silver on the scale, hire a metalsmith who makes it into a god. They then bow down and worship it. They put it on their shoulder to carry it. They put it in its place and it just stands there. It does not move from its place. Even when somebody cries out to it, it does not reply. It does not deliver him from his distress. He's God saying, hey, let's, let's do some comparison here between me and this kind of thing. And he uh, describes this person. And here's somebody who wants to make a God, and they don't want just a cheap God. They want the very best gold and silver God. So they're going to get the, the they're going to get the money and put the very very best, invest in the best, and um, they are going to um, do the have this made and put it up and worship it. Um, well, what what about us? Well, um, we we are. Probably not doing that kind of thing. Probably we're not saving our gold and making statues out of it. Yet nevertheless, we do this sort of, we do have our own idols. Um, I, I used to know somebody who had a boat who he, um, invested a tremendous amount of time in. And this boat required so much work. You know, he would have to have it cleaned, have barnacles taken off every winter, he'd have to have it taken out and winterized and then put back in the spring and all this stuff done to it. The amount of, of stuff he had to invest in this boat. And, um, uh, it, it, you know, and, and with the hope that he'd get some joy and some pleasure out of this boat. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to have a boat. I mean, it was great. Like, I, it was not, I'm not saying it was a bad choice of his, but it's a bad choice if you think that that is actually going to support you in the time of trouble. Um, I know a, a, a friend I had who loved cars and fixing cars and doing them up and doing special things to them. And he had this amazing car with all these features on it that he'd done. And uh, I, he told me about what he'd been doing in his car with his car that week. And I felt like saying, you know, you spent so much effort on that car. It's about time the car started taking care of you, isn't it? You know, you laugh, but this is actually the, this is the joke because the God is making these idols. Are they going to take care of you? You, you think the more money you spend on it, the more it's going to take care of you. The book, the more you invest in your boat, there's more it's going to take care of you. We may not invest in gold and silver idols, but we put our time and our effort into things which don't have the ability to give us something back. Um, uh, I remember talking to somebody who had a swimming pool. He bought a house that had the pool in it, and he vowed he would never, ever buy another house that had a swimming pool because it was so much work. He said it felt like the swimming pool owned him rather than he owning the swimming pool. And so this is the kind of way I think that we can relate to these these uh, these stories. Um, uh, we tend not to invest in gold and silver gods, but we invest in things we put our energy into in this life that do not have the ability to actually care for us. That in the end will let us down. And uh, so this so God God is saying, here's here's this um piece of metal, it's dumb, it's paralyzed. How can you compare that to me? Let's look at let's read on, shall we? Verses 8 through to 10, 11. Remember this so you can be brave. 
Think about it, you rebels. So he's speaking now to the Israelites who actually are worshipping the idols. Remember what I have accomplished in antiquity. Truly, I am God. I have no peer. I am God and there is none like me who announces the end from the beginning. In other words, his prophecies come true. Reveals beforehand what has not yet occurred. Who says, my plan will be realized. I will accomplish what I desire. Who summons an eagle from the east, from a distant land, one who carries out my plan. A while ago, Anne and I went visited African lion safari in Ontario, and we saw a demonstration with an eagle that just took my breath away. There was um, a, a, a woman had this huge eagle that we saw right across the other side of a, of a swampy area on a tree. It's just a huge eagle. And she, she came out, she had a big glove on, thankfully, on her hand like this, and she held her arm up like this, and she just whistled to this eagle. And this massive bird just took off and flew around the swamp and landed on her her arm. And they used to use these for hunting. You know, you'd you'd have a eagle and then you'd direct it to attack what you were hunting. And to have an eagle like this, this phenomenal bird, just under control of you whistling to it. And God is using this as a picture uh, of what he did. Like, So, for example, King Cyrus, he wanted King Cyrus to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. He just whistled. King Cyrus just did it, did his bidding. That's the kind of power that our God has. He can just say the word and kings, nations will come to his bidding. I have decreed. Yes, I will bring it to pass. I formulated a plan. Yes, I will carry it out. This is the God who we're talking about here. Um, so I just want to challenge you what it is that you are investing in right now. What Do you think that by the end of 2019, you're going to be happier than you are now? Well, most of us, unless we're pessimists, we think, you know, the good things are happening. We, we, you know, we see, it's going to see some positive things. What is it that, why is that? Well, I'm, you know, I've, I'm, I'm hoping to get a promotion or I'm, this, this relationship is, is doing well or I'm hoping to graduate or whatever it is. You know, we're, we've got things that are happening, but I want to ask you, are you investing in God so that you know that by the end of this year, that investment is going to be paying off. Because really, this is what God is saying. Invest in me, because I'm the one who really can carry you. The other investments are going to be useless in the long run. But I'm the one who you invest in me, and I can actually carry you. I have the capability. Compare me, he says, to these other things. Just sit, let's go side by side to these other things. What can they do? They're dumb and they're powerless. And here, I can just bring nations like that if need be. So God is calling us to compare him with the other things that we pour our time and our effort into. Um, when I first started studying this passage, um, it was in the middle of an internet disconnection. I don't know, you've probably experienced this nowadays. It's, it's tough when you lose the internet, and you can imagine for me, it's particularly tough. And anyway, so the internet went down. Um, it went down at 2 a.m., I knew it was 2 a.m. because when I called technical support, that's what they told me. And uh, they said, well, we can't do anything. You have to call Bell and raise a ticket. 
So I called Bell and raised a ticket and they said, well, we'll get back to you. Anyway, so about midday, my telephone line went dead. And at that time, I didn't, I didn't have a cell phone that was working. So I was completely cut off. So I couldn't call Bell. They couldn't call me. And my telephone, my landline was dead. Um, now it turned out the landline being dead was completely random, like it was nothing to do with internet connection. But Anne, thankfully, just noticed uh, a bell, a bell truck outside our house. And so I went out and saw this guy. He was there, nothing to do with either of my two problems, but he was there. He was very helpful, came round the back of our house, fixed the problem, spotted what it was, fixed the problem. We had a landline again. And um, I um, was able to call Bell and they said, oh, we've discovered what your problem is. Somebody just happened to unplug your connection. Um, uh, but you have to raise another ticket to sort it out. And it may take three days. So anyway, eventually they sorted it out. <clears throat> but so as I was doing this, so I'm preparing this and I'm thinking, I'm reflecting about not having internet. And um, it was actually a good reflection because um, this is what went through my mind. God's given me a job to do. He's given me a task to do. And he knows that I need the internet. But if God doesn't provide the internet, then I can't need it to do what he has to do to me to do now. So God will provide everything that I need to do what he wants me to do. And if it's not there, then actually I shouldn't worry because it's not necessary. And this was so comforting for me. That, and I want to give that to you, that God has something, God has a, a, a calling for all of your lives if you're a follower of Jesus. And he will provide everything you need for that. And if you're crying to God for something right now, and he's not giving it to you, then it's actually not necessary for what you should be doing right now. That doesn't mean to say you shouldn't keep asking because, you know, it may be needed down the road. But right now, we can never be blocked from following the call of God on our lives by something that, that we don't have because God hasn't given it to us. And so um, I found this, uh, so as I was reflecting on this passage, um, God really revealed to me something from this passage what I found to be very helpful, that God was actually carrying me at that time and that he was providing all that I needed for that moment. So... Let's um, uh, let's look at then the last few verses here. <clears throat> uh, listen to me, you stubborn people. You who distance yourself from doing what is right. I'm bringing my deliverance near. It's not far away. I'm bringing my salvation near. It does not wait. I will save Zion. I will adorn Israel with my splendor. So God is promising that even though they're not accepting him, he is still going to rescue them and still going to bless them. So let's go back to our outline. Understanding the shock headline, going through Isaiah 46 and on the third point to take in what this means for us. And with my goal that each of us would truly take in the deep encouragement in this chapter. So I'd like to summarize the, we're at point three now, taking it in what it means for us. I'd like to summarize this. Um, these gods had to be carried, but God will carry his people. We have burdens that we carry, but God says he will carry us. 
God says he will carry us. This is what we need to take in. And this is the God who carries us. Why is this a difficult message today? It's difficult because we like to be in control. We don't like to give ourselves into the hands of the God who says he'll carry us. Uh, But what God is really asking us to do is to surrender control to him. That's really what he's saying. He's saying, um, I will take you, I will look after you from the cradle to the grave, but you need to surrender control to me. And so um, I want to challenge you that this is what God is asking you to do today, to put him preeminent above all the other things you invest in in your life. All the other things that you think might carry you, invest in him as the first thing. I'd like to go back three chapters from Isaiah 46 back to Isaiah 43, where we have a very similar message. And I'd like to be to be ending on this. Now, this is what the Lord says. The one who created you, O Jacob, and formed you, O Israel, don't be afraid for I will protect you. I call you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I am with you. When you pass through the streams, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not harm you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Deliverer, I've handed over Egypt as a ransom price, Ethiopia and Sheba in place of you, since you are precious and special in my sight, and I love you. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. It's not that God doesn't care about these these other nations. He's plans for them as well, but he is prepared to change international events for the sake of the ones he loves. Do you believe that? Do you believe that that is what God is? I thought I want to challenge you. What burdens are you carrying right now? What are the burdens in your life? Can you give them to God right now? Can you hand them to God? Can you trust him with that? This is what ultimately becoming a Christian is about. The beginning of the Christian life is about taking this step where you say, God, I am going to trust you to care for me and nothing else will. And taking that step of giving your burdens to God and surrendering yourself to God is the core of what it means to become a Christian. It's the core of faith. It's about renouncing the things that cannot carry you and giving yourself to God. So God says, verses uh, 4 and 5, Since you are precious and special in my sight, and I love you, don't be afraid, for I I'm with you. So just go back to what I said earlier. These gods had to be carried, but God will carry his people. We have burdens that we carry, but God says he will carry us. So I'm going to ask the, the worship team to come up, up right now. And while they're doing that, I'd like us to do this, if you're comfortable with this. What I'd like to do is to read this passage together. And uh, I'd like everybody to stand, if that's okay. And uh, so you can stand. You don't have to read this if you, if you, this is completely up to you. But if you want to, um, 
I, I, I want, uh, I'd like to read this together. And um, as we read it together, I would like to take it in to us because my main challenge this morning is not to give you the facts, the information. My main challenge this morning is that you'll take it into your heart. And one of the ways of doing that is to actually read it and go through the exercise of, of, of saying this to God, I want to receive this. So if you want to, you can hold your hands out while we're reading this to receive this from God. So let's read this together, shall we? Listen to me, you who have been carried from birth, you who have been supported from the time you left the womb. Even when you are old, I will take care of you. Even when you have gray hair, I will carry you. I have made you and I will support you. I will carry you and rescue you. God, we are amazed by the freeness of this gift towards us. Lord, we're overwhelmed by your love to us. It is so undeserving. Lord, we throw ourselves into your arms now. Show us, Lord, where we're following gods that we should not follow. Show us, Lord, and give us the, the heart and give us the, the, the trust to throw ourselves completely on you and invest in you. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our dear Savior. Amen.